not preaching on Colossians, but I do want to take a look at, at Moses today. Because Moses is giving his swan song. They're about to enter into the promised land. He's not going to get to go with them. He wants to, well, give his final farewell address. And in the farewell addresses, we always try to catch to the, uh, uh, come to the chase and, and, and give the, the, uh, uh, the final answer, the thing that really counts, the thing that he wants them to remember. Uh, you think of the, the farewell addresses of, of Washington when, when he, he told the people, he said, beware of, of the political polarization that may take place. Talk about being prescient. Uh, today, that is just as real as it was, probably more real than when he said it. Eisenhower, when he left, he says, I want you to beware of the military-industrial complex. Prescient, too. But both of those really pale in comparison to what Moses is trying to say to us today. Because we know that he spent all of his time giving the people the law, uh, trying to tell them that these are the, the things that will give life, and if we are obedient to the commandments of God, then we shall live. And yet today, he's going to add something. He says, don't think this is so difficult that you've got to memorize a thousand passages. It's not so up in the sky that you've got to fly high to find it. It's not so deep in the ocean or at the end of the sea that you've got to travel eons to get it. No, no, the only place you need to look, the only place you're going to find the truth is deep in your heart. Ezekiel's going to tell us that that which was written in stone is now going to be written in human flesh. Moses is saying it before Ezekiel. He's saying, look inside. Because there is a deep truth in each and every one of us planted by the divine in our DNA that cannot be denied and it will be discovered if we have the courage to see it. But we don't see it. What Moses is giving us today is a hermeneutic principle to, to a, a key to try to unlock what's going on inside this gospel today. Normally we preach it from the perspective of the, of the man in the ditch or the perspective of the good Samaritan. I'd like to look at a perspective from the, the scholar, the scholar of the law. This is the man who has studied day and light and knows every jot and tittle of the law. This is the man who sees himself as somewhat superior when it comes to knowledge of things divine, the knowledge of God. Now, this is the one who comes up to Jesus with his rhetorical question, which is more than a question. It's a little bit of a trap. Now, he knows everything there is to know. And so he says, uh, Master, what must I do to gain eternal life? It's kind of a transactional question. Now, how do I get the marriage badge of heaven? You know, when we're little kids, we keep on saying if we do the first Fridays and Saturdays, then if we get enough, enough brownie points with God, that we're going to get in. So he's kind of asking that question. And of course, Jesus, being a really good Jew, answers the question with the question. Somebody once says that there were 83 direct questions that Jesus was asked. He only answered three of them directly. The rest all ended with a question. 
And somebody once asked the old Jewish rabbi, why do you Jews always answer a question with a question? And the old rabbi said, why not? <laughs> well, 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 why not? It is because it makes us go deeper. It makes us dig. Uh, the, the, the direct answer may settle the dust, but I'm really nervous of answers much more than I am of questions. And having the right question is really important. So Jesus asked him the question, how, how, do, how do you read the law? What, what do you see? And of course, he knows the answer. He's going to give him the Shema. Now that's the, that's the prayer that is on the lip of every little Jewish boy and girl. Hear, O Israel, your God is one. You shall worship the God alone. Uh, and then you are to love this God. Deuteronomy says it so clearly with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength. Love, love, love this God. And, and then Leviticus adds, and, and, your neighbor as yourself. He knows that law. Because not only is it written in stone, it's also written in his DNA as well. But he has forgotten it. Well, actually, he's covered it. It's very easy to cover the truth when we live in a culture of lies. And he was living in a culture of lies that told him basically that he was a superior human being, superior to those who are not educated, superior to those who are different from him, superior to those who do not know what he knows or see what he sees because, well, because he has been, been privileged, a very privileged man. And we like our privileges. Rank has its privileges. Color has its privileges. And, and even though he knows the truth, he doesn't want to see it. And so he, wishing to justify himself. In other words, I want to lock in my position. Now, I want to prove that I, well, at least what I'm saying, even though I may not in the depths of my heart believe it, because it is so easy to lie to ourselves. It's so easy to buy the major narrative. And if the narrative is a lie, and we know what Goebbels said, huh? You tell a lie big enough, and you tell a lie often enough, over and over and over and over again, and sooner or later, people are going to believe that. And we know right now that probably one of the biggest lies of our day is believed by maybe 40% of the population. And what does that mean? Does that mean that the truth is hidden for them, from them, or cannot see the truth, or choose not to see the truth? And so he asks his question, wishing to justify himself. This is my position. And who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus can answer him directly, but it's not going to work. When you come up against someone who has an absolutely opposite position that you want to take, and you try to directly address it, it's not going to work. 
And we see this all the time. We see this in our conversations with our brother-in-laws when we start arguing with them and they start arguing back. And as I've said before, we talk past each other and neither the twain shall ever meet. No, no, the, the, in physics, the, 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 the distance between two points is a straight line. In the spiritual world, the distance between a human being and the truth is a parabola. And that's the reason Jesus was always telling parables, because if he tried to tell this truth straight out, we would just get defensive, would not hear. You know, if, if, if Nathan came to King David and said, you are an adulterer and a murderer, David would have lopped off his head. And David's, but, but Nathan goes, oh, let me tell you a story. Uh, as a shepherd's got a whole bunch of sheep, he's got one little sheep, he steals that one little sheep, he, and David gets livid and he says, who is that man? And Nathan says, it's you. It's a parable. It's a parabola. And so Jesus is really trying to get to this man because Jesus only looks at people with love. Jesus can only give what is in his purse, and the only thing that is in the purse of Jesus is mercy, love, and forgiveness. So he really wants him to dig into the truth. So he tells this Parable, one of the most famous parables of all. Luke is this incredible storyteller. And he says there is a man who is coming down from Jerusalem. Now, I mean, Jerusalem is up high, and he's going down to Jericho. Jericho is really low, physically low and spiritually low. And in every way, it's, it's the pits. And it's a dangerous journey because you... You can be waylaid at any time as you're going through the hills in the little mountainous region before you get down to that bottom of the pits. And he is indeed waylaid by robbers. And he is beaten. And we don't know who this man is. Nothing, no description. But we know that he's beaten, he's stripped of his clothes, he's naked, and he's being left half dead. That's what we know. Now, what's really interesting about this is at exactly the same time, we just heard three weeks ago, Jesus was resolute to go up to Jerusalem. He's going to go up to the top. In order to do what? Come down to the bottom. To feel the pain of what it means to be a human being to feel the pain of the big lie, to feel the pain of hatred, to feel the pain of, of, of prejudice, to feel the pain of oh, all the things that keep in, keeping us from being who we truly are in our divine DNA as the daughters and sons of God, and to embrace it, and, and to, and to oh, not take the pain away completely, not in wars, but to make it impotent so that it really cannot destroy and so we, we have that story of, of Jesus going up so that he can come down. Because that is the only way that we shall be lifted up. When one knows our pain and experiences our pain and has compassion for our pain. Now, at that time, there are two people walking down the street. One, of course, is a priest. It's always the priest. Always the priest. And the priest looks and he goes... I'm a little late. <laughs> I'll catch you on the way back. 
Now, the reason he's a little late, because he's on his way up to Jerusalem, and if he's a priest, he's going to make sacrifice, and if he just touches a dead body, he is now impure, unclean, no paycheck this week. So he keeps on walking, and of course, the Levite, who's like the, the divine sacristan, he, 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 he keeps on walking too. And then, who comes? Of course, we know who comes. The hated one, the dreaded one. Who is the one that when you look at them, they turn your stomach? And that could be the right or the left. Who is the one when you see them, you, you just don't want to look, you want to look the other way. You want to walk by, you want to ignore. This is, these are the, these are the half-breeds. These are the ones who have married the Gentiles. These are the ones who know the Torah but have not lived the Torah because they have their temple there in Samaria, not in Jerusalem where it belongs. These are, these are the heretics. These are, these are the untouchables. These are the unclean. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Who, when you see them, riles your stomach? Wants you to make attack them. Of course, that's the Samaritan. Of course, that's Jesus. St. Luke, in his beautiful storytelling, says, and he was moved with compassion. The, the Greek word means from the very depth of his being, from his bowels. He is feeling the pain of this one who is suffering. So what's he going to do? He's going to go down. The Samaritan is the Christ. The Samaritan touches him the unclean one. The Samaritan pours oil upon him as the Christ touched and healed so many people and gives him wine as a little Eucharistic manifestation to re revive him and pours it into the wounds to heal him and then lift him on his beast and bring him back to the, the, to the, to the innkeeper. And he says to the innkeeper, take care of him, whatever he needs, whatever we need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be given to us besides. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? I, I know the saying, but oh, I better take care of my Roth IRA, because you never know. And that's who we are. I mean, that's just who we are. It's, this, is, this is a self-examination. It's so easy to point fingers at those who are passing by, but this is really a time for us, for me, to look into my own heart where my own deceit is, where I don't want to believe, what I don't want to see, where I want to justify my position, where I want to because I need to be right. I need to be in control. But he's not. The Samaritan's not. He's touching him, and he could be ambushed himself. This could be a trap. It's not a trap. And then he tells the innkeeper, and when, when I come back, if I owe you anything, I'll, I'll pay you some more. Every need will be taken care of. It's a promise. It's so hard to see and so hard to believe. One more question. Now, tell me. Who, in your opinion, in your opinion, do you think is the one who was the neighbor to the, to the robber's victim? It's very interesting, his answer. 
he still can't say it out loud. He can't say Samaritan. Can't say it. All he can say is uh, the one, one who showed him mercy. He says, now you, you, you go and do likewise. I think this is really a cautionary tale for all of humankind. You know, Scott Peck, in addition to writing The Road Left's Traveled, wrote a, a book called The People of the Lie. And he says there, there really is a, an evil people, and they are people who, who will believe whatever their ego tells them to do to protect themselves rather than come to the truth of who they truly are in the deepest part of themselves. And they will never back down, and they will always double down, and they will always tell the lie, and that is evil. And there's a touch of that in each and every one of us who sees the other precisely as other. They're not. We know that. We know that. We know the law. They are us. Their DNA is our DNA. And that DNA is divine DNA. It is the reason that we are called to see the Christ in all of creation and in all of humanity. And we all have a terrible time doing it. But if we do it, Jesus is really clear. Do this and you shall live.